Hey, this is Brian Akar, host of Why I Left, here to let you know about an important cause for which I'm fundraising and need your support. Child trauma occurs more than you think. More than two-thirds of children reported at least one traumatic event by age 16. Since 1979, the Advocate Childhood Trauma Treatment Program has provided a range of specialized services for the treatment of and healing from experiences of trauma in the Chicago area. Knowing people who have experienced childhood trauma, I'm aware of its lasting impact. That's why, on October 13th, 2024, I'm back running the Chicago Marathon again, representing Advocate Health as a member of the charity running team and fundraising to benefit the program. Please visit the show notes and click the link for Be Run Chicago to donate to this cause. I appreciate any support that you could provide. Now, let's get to this week's episode. Thank you. Welcome to Why I Left, a podcast that explores the great resignation. I'm your host, Brian Akar. Join me as I chronicle real stories from real people about the reasons they decided to leave their jobs during the pandemic and what has happened since. Hello, and thanks for tuning into this episode of the Why I Left podcast. In today's episode, I chat with Sophie Maleri as a part of the show's dedicated series on mental health. Sophie's a native New Yorker who earned her master's in mental health counseling after getting a bachelor's in operations management. She's trained to counsel through a multicultural and holistic perspective that encompasses one's biological, psychological, sociological, and spiritual needs. Now, her other areas of interest include mindfulness-based practices and discussing the nuances of being second-generation American. Excited to have her on, so let's go check out her story. All right, welcome back. So our guest today is Sophie Maleri. Sophie has experience providing individual and group therapy to adults, children, and families. She is trained in several modalities with a focus on trauma-informed care and inner child work. Now, our show has openly discussed issues of mental health, so I wanted to bring her perspective as a licensed practitioner to the show to discuss the trends she's seeing in her practice and the community she serves. So hi, Sophie. Thanks for joining me today. Hi. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So now before we get into some of the work that you do, uh, tell us a little bit about your background and upbringing. Yeah, I was born and raised in New York City, Manhattan. Um, I did spend a couple years early, early on in rural China, uh, but I came out here again for first grade. So I've lived here all my life uh, in New York, and I went through the school system, went to college for business, and was doing that for a large portion of my young adult life until I realized uh, that I wanted to do something more meaningful. And so that's when I switched over to counseling. And that really allowed me the chance to hear people's stories and connect with them on a one-to-one. Oh, that's great. And now what have you been passionate about professionally? Um, particularly trauma, trauma-informed care. There was uh, some abuses that I've experienced. So really having healed through that and continuing to heal, that has really given me the passion to see people also healed from those um, hurts. Uh, and experiences so that they might also experience the freedom that I feel like I've been able to enjoy. And particularly inner child care, uh, inner child work, which I've seen to be profoundly helpful for myself and others. So those are the, the two areas that I've been 
very passionate about as of lately anyway. And, and also like anxiety management. That's something that I also have experience with firsthand. So there's a large need and, and I really do care for people to be able to work through that and find freedom as well. No, that's amazing. I would imagine too, especially over these past few years, the incidences of, of people experiencing anxiety has only been only really heightened by, by the pandemic. So that's, that's great that you're, you're really in that space. And so, you know, tell us a little bit about your work journey and what's worked well in the environments that you've been a part of. Uh, when you say what has worked well, do you mean clinically with clients? Either it could be client wise or even, even, you know, prior to, you look, you started out in, in, uh, with the business focus, right. But then you transitioned into mental health. So just a little bit about your, your work experience background and, and what's worked, what's, what's been successful for you. Yeah, I would say like hands down, uh, it would be talking about childhood experiences, my favorite, uh, but it really, I've really seen it to yield the most, uh, insight and awareness and change. And there's a lot of things that we can do to, to like change behavior, but until we realize why we do the things that we do, that behavior change wouldn't be long lasting. And so there's a lot to be learned and a lot to be experienced in our childhood memories. Oh, very nice. And now when did you first know that you wanted to become a therapist? Several years, no, like a couple of years out of college, uh, undergrad college, I was working in business. I was, you know, very transactional, you know, you're happy with me when you get your product kind of thing. And I was like, you know, there has to be something more. There were experiences that I had in college, really, where I got to speak into people's lives. And there was a really, like, a depth of connection that I had with um, those individuals in college. And so I was like, how can there be none of that after, like, as soon as I am done? So that's when I said, you know, maybe there is something more. And counseling came up as an, a career opportunity, like a, a possibility that I hadn't even known about before. So I spent some time thinking about that. And it really did align with a lot of my skill sets already. And I was getting quite a bit of affirmation from people when they're like, oh, yeah, you'd be totally a great counselor. So I said, OK, maybe there's some truth there. <laughs> Thought about it a little and pursued it and all kind of just happened from there. Oh, that's great to hear. And so now I'd love to to just kind of take you back a little bit. Uh, so let's go back to COVID, right? So March of 2020, and I know at the time we're recording this, you know, COVID look is still around, right? But but this was really when it all started, March of 2020. Take us back to that time. Describe how the pandemic affected you. Yeah. So I actually started at my uh, private practice or therapy job role really at the start of pandemic. So I actually have never done private practice uh, therapy work in the office. Prior to that, I had experience in community mental health type of um, environment um, and, and other types where I was actually in an office. Um, but this was different. But also side note, I had always wanted to do tele-mental health because I knew how much access that would provide for people. Um, and it really, the reach would be increased. So I was really excited to do that. But it was definitely hard because there was a lot of collective trauma happening at the same time. I'm going through it, my clients are going through it. And how do I normalize that sort of anxiety response but at the same time help them do what they have to do and go to work every day still. So that was challenging. And we were really trying hard to not get burned out, but that was also inevitable. So we're just really, really keen on self-care during that time. No, that's important. And how did the pandemic really affect your business? I actually think there was an increase. At least this is what I've experienced 
for me, my caseload is a little different from everybody else's that are um, that's in the company. But I, I really did get a lot of clients. I mean, because a lot of the times this there are people are experiencing anxiety, but it's really easy to keep busy and avoid having to deal with whatever anxieties you might have. There's no time to think about it. So you're working multiple jobs, maybe whether or not you actually need it. But um, that was something that I was seeing like, oh, now I can't do all those things that I used to do. All the, all the ways that I used to go out to care for myself. Now I can't do that. So how do I really, the, the challenge is how do I get creative with my self-care? And, and there was a lot of influx of, of like, not just COVID related stuff, but really not having the structure in place to manage the anxieties that you probably already pre-existingly had. And so now that's where I came in. No, very nice. And so you mentioned, look, you started this job, you, you know, nothing but telehealth counseling services, right? And so what was it like starting in private practice really at the height of the pandemic? Um, I don't know if this is popular opinion, but I really liked it <laughs> okay. um, because I think I'm, I'm accustomed to being on the computer, being on Zoom and, you know, just like video chatting. I um, felt like there was humor that could allow for connection that, you know, my colleagues would tell me like, you know, it's hard, it's harder to connect with somebody because you're not physically in the room with them. And I found that um, what we collectively found that like humor has really allowed us to do that sort of connection piece through a screen. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. it. There were some challenges just like with providing therapy period, but otherwise the experience was very enjoyable for me. No, that's good. And now, so some of the clients that you, you worked with, you know, if you, now you get into this field, Everything's happening with the pandemic. The shutdowns are happening. How did the pandemic really start to affect some of the clients that you served? I, I really do think that the effects of COVID heightened depression symptoms, anxiety symptoms as a direct, you know, directly if they've experienced COVID, if they've experienced, you know, being a frontline worker, that kind of thing, but also indirectly. This you know, the the concept that I was speaking about earlier, where there are a lot of structures in place for those individuals, a routine perhaps to uh, manage their depression, anxiety, and um, other diagnoses. Um, but COVID, when the world shut down, it took that all away. And so that's kind of how I saw um, COVID affect my clients, both in, you know, directly and indirectly. Um, and they, it was like they were left with nothing, just like having to start over from scratch and, and adjust to that. So there's a lot of grief involved. So that was the way that I saw that them get affected. And so what were some of your key learnings that you experienced throughout the throughout COVID? Key learnings. I definitely would say a lot of self-compassion because, uh, well, self-compassion and uh, the concept of letting go of control. So being mentally flexible, emotionally, psychologically flexible, which is one of the key things that we work with with clients. And I had to do that for myself too, because there really wasn't anything much that we could do when the world was shut down. Like there are powers that be that control all this stuff. Um, and as much as we don't want certain things to be closed down, then they were going to be. And so there's a lot of like, okay, you know, can't change that. So then what can I do? Um, and how can I sort of release some of that control and, and just focus on the things that I have control over? which is very much sort of like one, the day-to-day. -day. And even then it's a little limited because there are things that you probably used to be able to control that you no longer can. So there's a lot of adapting. And then I say self-compassion because there's a lot of um, like, nobody knew what to do also. So there's a really messy time of like just trial and error. And like, maybe some would be more prone to beat themselves up too. So it was like, okay, we really have to 
lean into the self-compassion because this is a hard time for everybody. And we just adjust together. We'll be right back. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Are you struggling with mental health issues but find it difficult to make time for in-person therapy? BetterHelp has got you covered. BetterHelp is an online therapy platform that connects you with licensed therapists from the comfort of your own home. With BetterHelp, you can access professional counseling whenever and wherever you need it on your schedule. And the best part? It's affordable, confidential, and easy to use. As the host of Why I Left, I know that life can be tough sometimes, and that's why it's important to take care of your mental health. BetterHelp offers a wide range of services, including individual counseling, couples therapy, and even online group sessions. So whether you're dealing with depression, anxiety, or any other mental health issue, BetterHelp can provide the support you need to feel better. Sign up for BetterHelp today and start living a happier, healthier life. And as a special offer for our listeners, you can get 10% off your first month of BetterHelp by visiting betterhelp.com slash why I left. That's betterhelp.com slash why I left. Take care of yourself. No, really, that makes sense. And so, you know, obviously this show is about the, the great resignation. And I know you, you work you work a lot with with children, but also trauma informed care as a whole. So I'd imagine there's some some you know adults that you that you work with as well. And right. I just or wanted to that, clarify is it, that. It's actually the other way around. Like I have done children work with children in my past jobs, but primarily ah, with private practice, it's just adults. It's just adults. Oh, okay. Well great. So, and, and so when I so this show is like I said, around the great resignation. And so when we think about the impact on mental health, it's been tremendous. And so what are, let's say, three ways in which you've noticed the great resignation's impact on mental health or even, you know, work life in general, that that impact on mental health? What have you noticed? There is definitely a, I think my first thought to that is that there is a increase in purpose perhaps for for people who maybe have participated in the great resignation and really have said okay like now that everything has stopped and I can actually reflect and think about my life this is actually not what I want to do and I I do think that like that reflection piece has allowed for some to really figure out actually what it is that they want from their life and that added purpose that meaningfulness to them really gives them like positive mental health I think right like there's nothing worse than going to work every day and hating it but feeling like well you have to do it and so there there's a that's a constant dream and so for for people to participate in the great resignation there's a lot of life given back to them and so that definitely impacts mental health absolutely and so now let's let's talk a little bit about your practice right so you you're currently a, a counselor with uh, Citron Hennessy, which is uh, here in in the New York area. I mean, our show is a you know international show, but I just want to you know clarify. You know, so- Sophie's here in in the in the New York area, right. and so tell us about uh, one Citron Hennessy as as a practice and the types of therapy offered. Yeah, so it's a group practice. Um, it's owned by two individuals whose last names are Citron and Hennessy, and. Uh, so it's a group practice. There are actually a lot of interns too, on top of licensed mental health counselors and those who are limited permit holders. And there is a focus on uh, something called REBT, Rational Emotive Behavioral Therapy, and that's a modality. Like it, it, de- it depends also based off of 
who you see, like which therapist. They could also combine REBT with a bunch of other types of modalities. So some do inner child work also. I have a um, focus on trauma-informed care and uh, inner child work alongside REBT. Um, but there's always um, a emphasis on like the person. Um, and so, so as with all therapies, like we're very big on like maintaining and creating something called a therapeutic alliance. So just a good working relationship with our clients. Um, and that, that is important. No, that's great. And, and what are the, you know, uh, you talk a little bit about some of the inner child, inner child work, as well as trauma informed care, but what are some of the other areas uh, and types of therapy in which you specialize in? Yeah, so the ones that I found myself doing is psychodynamic, where we're analyzing childhood experiences. Like that's a that's a favorite of mine. And there will be maybe some times where you'll somebody might experience me using like CBT or sort of cognitive tools. So I do a lot of alongside the cognitive stuff and the behavioral change stuff, which is REBT that they like we address the beliefs, the deep rooted beliefs, and then we basically try to help the individual develop new beliefs so that they can actually do the things that they want to do versus doing the same things that they didn't want to do. That's in brief. I also spend a lot of time on this trauma stuff where it's if you are experiencing, if you have a trauma response to something, right? Like before you can tap into, here's what I could do logically. Here's what I know to be true. It's like, there's a lot of, your nervous system that's getting sort of inflamed and riled up as a result of that trauma. So I really do teach also how to regulate that, right? Emotional regulation, but also regulating the nervous system so that you can calm down so that you can utilize a lot of the tools and, and tricks that we we talk about and how to think and what to say to yourself and that kind of stuff. So it's a bit of a combination of both. And that's kind of like my main focus um, alongside inner child work where we're getting connected with some of those feelings and needs from a really young ages and affirming that. And that really creates like a good working relationship with the, with our feelings, really. Oh, that's great. And, and now I noticed also one of your areas you, you focused on was around grief and loss, right? Which, which many have experienced over these past few years. And so when you think about that, you know, what are, what are some key facts that we should know about grief and loss? Yeah, I think the, the most important thing to keep in mind is like grief and loss isn't just when somebody passes, when some a pet passes, like it, it is a very active part of our everyday lives. Like there are a lot of things that we're grieving and that are just lost. For instance, like things that you wish had happened for you when you were younger, that's, that's, that's loss. And you will have to grieve that. Um, when somebody, when you have expectations that have gone unmet and you're just this disappointed and you're really sad about it well that's loss and you're grieving your mourning the loss of what you had hoped and like that's a very active part of our everyday lives and I just want people to recognize that like you can grieve a lot of things relationships ending like hopes and dreams changing and it's not just related to like physical loss no that's a that's a great point because I do think you know oftentimes it is you know when you think of grief and loss immediately you think of you know someone passed away right and so you know reframing that in you know the loss of loss of an opportunity potentially or or relationship is something that that people could could also have need, you know need need help coping with and so which which is actually a nice transition into you know when someone experiences loss or grief what are five coping skills that you could share when somebody's experiencing grief and loss i would definitely say that 
get get in touch get in touch with those feelings and allow yourself to have them without the goal without any sort of thought of I can't have them or I need to get rid of them like no like engage in those emotions I would say that's number one um, and if you're having difficulty doing that I would say get some professional help to help you do that and, and that's like seeing a therapist seeing a bereavement counselor I would say that's number two number three I would say once you're when, once you feel like you've individually grieved um the loss, get in touch with those people around you. I would say definitely don't isolate yourself, but also know that there's a time where you also just need to be by yourself and that's okay. Um, but at some point when your body feels like, yeah, you, you've grieved everything, then you know get reconnected with your community because that's absolutely important. Number four, it would be to remind yourself that grief comes in waves. And so the whole point of grief is like right off the bat when you've experienced this grief, the wave of grief where it hits you really hard, that happens very frequently, the intensity that very high, right? But over time, it will still hurt the same, but the frequency, the time in between those times will be longer and longer. So it's not that you just are done with grieving. No, it still comes. It comes in waves, but it might not come as frequently over time. And then five would be to remember to integrate grief. So it's not that oh, this grief is over, and now I never have to deal with it ever again. No, you, you do, but it's, it's changed you. It's become a part of your life. And so there are ways that you can channel that grief into goals of yours for yourself, for your community, uh, and ways to sort of use that grief to really, to really let it change your life, right? So an example would be like, you know, you're, somebody close to you has passed. And now, you know, after you've grieved, you're like, you know, I want to help people who've experienced this thing that, that this cl person close to me experienced. And so now I want to be that resource. And so that's kind of like just, you know, a brief example of what it looks like to have grief be integrated into your life. Because the whole point is not for you to just be in grief, done, and then now go back to my life. No, it really does change your life. And let that be, because I think that's very valuable. Oh, that makes sense. I like that. that grief integration. I actually haven't Heard heard of it mentioned like that, so I I, I like I like that step a lot. Uh, and now you also talked about trauma informed care, right? And so tell us about you know trauma informed responses and how they show up in times like these, like we're living now. Uh, I would say trauma informed care would look something like paying attention to grief anniversaries and recognizing that even if. Like, even if you say you're fine because you feel kind of fine, but your behaviors are starting to show a little bit of some behaviors that aren't totally fine. Well, I might say, seems like perhaps there was some trauma stored in your body because your body remembers it, whether or not you're cognitively aware that this is happening. And so to me, like, that's how I would be in the mindset of just having trauma-informed care for somebody who's going through grief. It has a lasting impact on you. So whether or not you're crying is not, that's not my goal. My goal is to see whether or not um, like your, your body, your whole system is responding well. And so one of the things also, to, you know, you mentioned how uh, your other area of interest is around the nuances of being second generation Asian American in your practice. And so I would like you to talk a little bit about that, but first I wanted to to give the audience just a quick stat, given that we're here in New York City, and I'm, I'll read this one, right? So I don't want to, want to mess this one up, right? So so based on 2019 ACS data, which is the latest data that we, we have that's available, so there are 845,000 Asian Pacific, Asian Pacific Islander immigrants in New York City, accounting for 28% of the total 3 million immigrants living in the city. And so, you know, this focus on the nuances of 
of being second generation American. You know, tell tell us about and our listeners really about what those nuances are and what people may not be aware of. When I say nuances, I really do mean how guilt and shame is such a large part of an Asian person's experience, um, particularly second generation, where we see and have experienced the way that maybe our immigrant parents are like their their motivation. They're like, you know, there's good heartedness, like wanting to care for their families, but it's also to some extent has the shame of like, well, if I don't, then like, that's on me. That's terrible for me. I don't want to be a bad person or a bad parent to not take care of my family. So that's where I, and I, I note that because that's how shame is just a part of our culture. And there, there are good things that come from it. And there are not so good things that come from it. And so as a second generation Asian American, I am much more cognizant of the ways that guilt and shame has been used for me to try to change my behavior to conform perhaps to a culturally acceptable norm, that being somebody on Chinese. So some, you know, in the Chinese culture, this is what you're supposed to do. And well, what if I don't want to do that, right? I'm also influenced by the American culture. So there's an individualistic component here. And I don't want to just be like part of this collectivistic uh, culture and be dictated by it and guilt and shame. So, you know, those are things just to keep in mind, like somewhere there is a influence of guilt and shame as part of the culture. And that's something to note because that could also be very harmful for the mental health. And how do you see that showing up in your practice? Like how could you give us an example of, you know, how someone may, may bring that to you or some of the things that they may experience where, where, where this is, um, kind of a part of their experience? Something like I should be a good employee. I should be a better daughter. And, you know, when I'm not doing the things that my parents are approving of, you know, this is how they speak to me. And that's, you know, like there's just guilt and shame there. Whenever you find yourself saying like, I should be something, well, then that, that really elicits shame, right? Because it's like, well, if you don't reach it, then what does that mean about me? And so that that's harmful because also that leads to anxiety and depression. It's like, well, if you blame yourself, that's probably going to result in depression. If you are constantly trying to achieve this thing and you don't rest because you're like, I can't stop, then that elicits anxiety. So that that's how I see it uh, showing in my work, but also like with friends that I had. It's like, these are common, constant things of like, you know, I don't want to disappoint my parents because, and then there's shame and guilt at that. Right. No, that makes sense. Okay. And so look, a part of this show, big part of this show is really around uh, giving some advice for others. And I think that is particularly important as we, you know, as I'm doing this, this series uh, during, during mental health awareness. And so for people who may be searching for a therapist, you know, what are the top, let's say four things they should look for when making a selection? The relationship is absolutely key. You know, can you get along with your not just get along, like, do you vibe with, with your therapist, you know? Um, it's important. Absolutely. Is your humor that you can, like, share? And, and that's so valuable because, it, after all, and it really is a relationship that changes things um, because change doesn't happen without that trust and love. So it's a lot of, um, a lot of the relationship is important. So that's number one. I would say number two is, if there is lack of chemistry and you've given it a couple shots, like a couple sessions, maybe up to four, like just, you can make the decision to like find another therapist. Like it's okay if you have to break up with them, basically. It's a lot like dating, unfortunately, where you really have to hop around until you find one that you're like, ah, this feels like a breath of fresh air. 
this is nice. This is great. I could really get into, into things. It is important for the therapist to be able to really listen to you and giving you adequate time to be heard. And uh, I'm just stating that explicitly because having a good relationship, that might not be super explicit. So now like number three is finding a, a, a therapist that really is able to listen to you. I think number four is finding a therapist that can actually help you work towards some of those things that you want to see change in your life, right? So it's like, yeah, they validate, yeah, they like, they see you and can, but they also challenge you, they hold the mirror up, you know, like tactfully, of course, but they'll be able to help you work through those things that you probably can't see yourself. And that's the beauty of having a professional there. No, absolutely. And, you know, for people who may be uncomfortable discussing their mental health with a professional, what suggestions would you offer to them? If they're uncomfortable, if if that person actually does want to see a therapist and is experiencing that discomfort, I would bring up that discomfort in in conversation with a therapist because that can be worked through. And that actually might show uh, a lot of other things underneath that actually will be helpful in the transformation process. So that difficulty, I'd say talk about it and be open about it and just kind of see what it is. And the hope is that you would warm up to your therapist, that therapists will show you that they're safe people and that like, that they'll also take it at your pace, right? So it's like, okay, we're not going to push you that hard, but we're also going to challenge you. And so there's been a little bit of give and take. But if you're showing up, like, that's great. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and you know, I think there's a certain aspect to it of, of being a bit more self-aware within yourself too, about kind of what you are comfortable with, what you may not be comfortable with. And, you know, when you think about building self-awareness what are what are let's say like a series of questions that someone should ask themselves to really become more self-aware to maybe even get to that place yeah what am i thinking what am i feeling and what do i need those are three questions that i've used over and over um what am i thinking like just making note of that explicitly changes things. And so what, what am I thinking? And then um, what am I feeling as a result of what I'm thinking? It allows you to identify like that, that connection between the thought and the feeling because they do go hand in hand, but sometimes we don't realize it. And then what do I need it can be helpful to identify just what you, what you can do about the situation. I would say that I, if I were to add another one, which I think I would want to, is um, where does this come from? But, that, you know, sometimes you can go on a little bit of a, a rabbit trail with uh, what, where does this come from? I say if, if it causes more uh, duress to be thinking about where does this come from, I'd say, okay, let's just create a contained space, right? Be with somebody professional and do it in a contained space. But if it's a fleeting thought of like, oh, I'm feeling this way, I'm thinking this way, I was like, oh, I wonder where that comes from. Like, that's helpful to increase awareness. That makes sense. Okay. And now, you know, look, this is happening during, you know, Mental Health Awareness Month and BIPOC Mental Health Awareness Month. And so during these months, how can we help really amplify the message that it is okay to seek help? Uh, I think it just is that it is okay to seek help. And there's a lot of stigma with some cultures where it's you're probably going to hear that it's not okay. And you might hear it as close as your family, right? So uh, it's not okay. Don't share with other people what goes on in our house. Like you might hear that. And so I think the resounding note is it's okay because there are things you probably can't see that we can help you with. And there's freedom to be experienced for that. No, I agree. Yeah. And I, I always, uh, you know, very appreciative of 
of the stories that, you know, I've been able to kind of get out in this space. And I think during this series in our, you know, Mental Health Awareness Month, as well as BIPOC Mental Health Awareness Month, it's good to just continue to get those messages out there. Uh, and so, you know, last question before we kind of begin wrapping up is, you know, what more do you think employers could be doing to better support employees during this time, especially with the, the prevalence of some of the mental health issues that we've all kind of known about and, and read about? I would say increase your pain. <laughs> I, I said this last time. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's important, right? We're talking about like a system sort of, it's not just the individual's mental health. Like there are a lot of other systems in play that also affect mental health. So, you know, good wages. But I would also say like get trained for employers, get trained on mental health, get trained on how to be emotionally healthy leaders, get trained on um, all these things on how to connect and, and really be understanding and also trust. I would say this whole flexibility thing with like, can you work from home? Like I, I really do see it as a matter of like, do you trust your employees? And I feel like, you know, maybe there's something there that can be worked out, but really giving people the opportunity to have a life outside of work, like that would be super good for mental health. I agree. I like that. We had some really good quotes in, in season one about that too, about, you know, one of them was around, you know, when, when people have life outside of work, their work comes to life. And I think that what you just mentioned, and shout out to, to Wale and Toya for that one, but that I think really resonates from a mental health standpoint, because that's when people can bring their full selves, when they have that life out, outside of work and not just putting in 80, 90, 100 hour weeks, right? Which can be very detrimental. So, mm -hmm. okay. Absolutely. All right. Well, Sophie, look, I want to thank you for taking some time to speak with me today. I one loved, you know, learning more about your practice, the clients that you've been involved with. And like you said, some of the nuances that you mentioned about, you know, being second generation Asian American. I think it's important during both of these months to really talk about those things. And I think we have an opportunity here at the show to talk about various walks of life and, and the, the different mental health experiences that happen. And so I appreciate you sharing, you know, your practice, your expertise, and everything that you do and would love one to stay in touch uh, and follow your work, but also would love for you to get out there. Where can our listeners find you and support you? Uh, they can find me at Citron Hennessy and I'd be glad to, to speak with them. Very nice. And, and because you're, you're telehealth, I mean, you got, anywhere. let me know. So no, I like that. I like that a lot. So I appreciate that. Uh, so look, that'll do it for today's episode. Again, I want to thank Sophie Maleri for joining us today. I'll be sure to share her information in our show notes. And so look, I hope you all have a great week. We will see you next time. And thank you again, Sophie. Thank you. The Great Resignation, people leaving their jobs in droves. There's a lot of buzz happening in the job market of late. Now, did you or someone you know leave your job during the pandemic and want to share your story? We've been having some really good conversations in this space. So if you're interested, I'd love to have you join the program. If so, here's how you can do it. First, you can email us at hello at whyileft.co. That's hello at whyileft.co. Or visit us online at whyileft.co. That's whyileft.co. Look forward to having you join the conversation. Thanks again for listening to Why I Left. 
Be sure to join us next time for more stories from the Great Resignation. Visit us at www.yileft.co. That's yileft.co. And subscribe to the show on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, podcasters. It's Brian Akar, host of Why I Left. Are you ready to take your show to the next level? I've got a game changer for you. Meet Dave, the genius behind apodcastgeek.com and the man who keeps me and Why I Left looking and sounding so crisp. Whether you're a seasoned podcaster or just getting started, Dave's got your back. He's the go-to producer for podcasters who demand nothing but the best. At apodcastgeek.com, you can easily order your next episode. And the best part, got a special offer, is you'll receive 10% off your first order using code BA10. That's right, 10% off to kickstart your podcasting journey by simply using the code BA10 at checkout. Now don't wait. I know you've been thinking about starting a show and maybe this is your sign to just get out there and do it. So what I want you to do is visit apodcastgeek.com, sign up and start creating amazing content. Dave and his team are simply amazing and you won't regret it. At apodcastgeek.com, they're going to help you reach new heights with your podcast. And of course, tell them that Brian from Why I Left sent you. See you soon.